Welcome to the Bookkeeper's Voice, an informative and entertaining podcast for bookkeepers who love small business. Each week, Amy Hook explores new ideas and shares real-life stories along with inspiring guests from both inside and outside the bookkeeping industry. Every episode will leave you with a fresh perspective along with industry-specific tips and insights to help your business and your clients' businesses thrive. And now, here's Amy. Good morning. Thank you for joining me again today. I'm going to be speaking to you about something very personal. I'm going to be sharing with you my secret about BAS agent registration. And more specifically, I'm going to be talking about bookkeepers who are working as basically in a BAS agent role, but they're not registered. And so I've never actually shared this before so publicly, uh, but I thought to do it after I'd commented on a post in another group um, last, maybe, yeah, like about a week ago. And because someone had posted in this group about whether they should job in a BAS agent or a bookkeeper who's, who's not registered as a BAS agent. And there was a comment on the thread, which uh, was made by Matthew Addison uh, from the ICB. And he made a comment, most bookkeepers don't know that working unregistered is illegal. Or he said, most bookkeepers don't know it's illegal, but referring to working unregistered. And when he said that, I thought, you know, I, it actually gave me the courage to share my story because I'd always thought about sharing it, but I guess, you know, I was actually a bit worried about sharing it because I didn't want people to think I was unprofessional. Um, I knew that it was something that was frowned upon. And so I was actually ashamed that I had worked as a bookkeeper without being registered. And I also was a bit worried of how confessing something like this could actually affect my career or even potentially affect my current BAS agent registration. And I guess the thing that um, made me feel confident to share it is because Matthew Addison does have a level of authority in the bookkeeping industry in that he is very highly involved in the Australian Taxation Office, in the Tax Practitioners Board and, uh, and other organisations. And he does a lot of work on behalf of BAS agents and bookkeepers. And also just being a member of the ICB, I joined the ICB um, not that long ago, like quite recently, I think maybe about five or six months ago. And I didn't actually know, but they have a members only Facebook group. And I've been a member of that group. I haven't really interacted too much in the group uh, just yet, but I've really found it a very good group because it's a group where you can ask technical questions about bookkeeping without fear of being judged or looked down upon, um, which I really like. And I do attribute that to the leadership of the group. Um, there's all kinds of groups out there on Facebook, whether they're bookkeepers groups or whether they're business groups. And the way that members treat each other in the group really comes down to the leadership in the group because the leadership set the tone and they set the rules. And so often when you find groups where people are belittling one another or they're judging one another or they're harsh towards each other or they're posting a lot of drama or they're posting a lot of negative things, you know, they're not, they may be complaining in a way that's not constructive. You know, I think complaining and venting has its place in groups, but it's got to be from a constructive point of view um, and a view of wanting to receive feedback from others and get their input into things and something that we're willing to take on their feedback and everything. So when, when I joined this group, I didn't really know much about ICB or um, any of the staff at ICB. And since I joined that group, because I'd only seen Matthew Addison interacting with bookkeepers in other groups and so I didn't really know that much about what he did or who he was but being in his uh, private group which is part of the ICB I sort of got to see a bit more of 
him and the way that he interacts with the group. And I thought, what a generous, knowledgeable person who really does dedicate a lot of time into supporting bookkeepers and bass agents and really going into bat for us <laughs> against the, the higher up authorities, um, such as the TPB and the ATO. And so it was something about him saying that most bookkeepers don't know that it's illegal that gave me the confidence to be able to share my story. And I hope that by sharing this story, because I'm sure there'll be people listening on this podcast right now who have been in the situation that I've been in, or perhaps they've come across a bookkeeper who's working unregistered. And so I think regardless of where you're at, you will learn something new about this. And I really hope that the outcome of this podcast will be a change of heart of both people who are risking the businesses that they're working with and they're risking their own profession uh, by working unregistered. But I also hope to change the hearts of those who think that the only solution to an, un an unregistered bookkeeper is to report them to the TPB and to stand in a place of judgment against them. And out of this little exercise, as I started to type out my thoughts on this topic, I actually thought it would be really helpful to put together some kind of a checklist on how to approach someone who's not working, um, who's not registered. And so I've actually put something together. It's not fully formed yet, but it's just really my thoughts at this stage. So I'd love to get your input on that. I will document it into, um, you know, a checklist that you can actually get a copy of. And then I would love to actually get input from you. I would actually, um, I actually plan to see if I can get input from the ICB on what their thoughts are for it. Because I think that by putting a process in place for this on how to approach somebody could actually really win over the hearts of a bookkeeper who thinks it's okay to work unregistered. And so I'm going to share my story. I'll share that checklist and I'm going to share also the reasons why you know i'm not just going to leave it at you shouldn't do this but i'm going to explain the reasons why and i'm also going to talk about what a bass agent and a bookkeeper are actually allowed to do because as you're listening to this you might be thinking well i'm doing certain bookkeeping tasks but i'm not actually uh, preparing and lodging the bass so um, this doesn't apply to me, but I want to really make it clear, um, uh, you know, on what a bass agent can and can't do. Um, sorry, what a bookkeeper who's not a bass agent can and can't do so that you um, will know which, you know, which, which kind of where you sit in this discussion. And then you'll know how to take on board, um, you know, the feedback that I'm going to give you'll be able to know, okay, for sure this doesn't apply to me. So, um, you know, I don't need to take any action or you'll think this does apply to me and I do need to take some action. Or you might be a bass agent already and you'll get some information that will be helpful to share with your clients. And it will also be helpful to be able to share with other bookkeepers who are unregistered in the future. And especially if you're deciding to follow the process that I put together and speak to that person directly as a, instead of complaining about them in a Facebook group, which I feel is unproductive, especially when it's coming from a place of judgment and it's not coming from a place of, hey, I've, I found out this bookkeeper's doing this. What should I do? How can I approach them? How can I have this conversation with them? Or to answer that question, should I dob them into the tax practitioner's board? But firstly, I'll share my story. So for those of you who don't know my background, I... Um, I was about to say I grew up in an accounting firm. In my bookkeeping career, I certainly did. Um, I, did I did grow up in bookkeeping. I started doing bookkeeping around the age of oh, maybe 12 or 13. I used to work for my dad's business on school holidays, doing bank reconciliations 
following up overdue invoices. Can you imagine a 12 year old on the phone doing debt collection? I loved it. And even making spreadsheets to calculate import costs and profit on various items. I'd put in um, checks into MYB, do the bank rec. Like it was just, I was doing bookkeeping type tasks when I was quite young. Also setting up filing systems um, in my dad's office with his accountant. So that's going to be, let's say in four years time, <laughs> when I'm 42, uh, that, will be th that will be 30 years that I've been doing bookkeeping. I also started studying accounting at school and computers and, and financial mathematics, all of those subjects I started at in school in year eight. So around that time, which is what sparked my interest in becoming, um, at the time I wanted to become an accountant. And so dad said to me, why don't you come into the office and work with our accountant and see if you like it. So from there, I worked on and off for dad's business, um, you know, school holidays and, you know, not really a full-time job or anything like that. And when I was 19, I got a traineeship in accounts payable. So I worked for a manufacturing company in semi-trailers and we had a very large accounts payable. So my job was to reconcile the invoices in our system to the supplier statements and work out how much we needed to pay each month and then provide that information to my boss. And I joined this company in 2000, which is when GST came in. So my job was to add in ABNs to all of the supplier <laughs> records as well. So that was quite a fun little project. I think that was my very first project when I started working for the company. And I absolutely loved doing this job. And then as time moved by, I got into a little bit of managing the cash sales that came through from our say, um, service department. So we manufactured semi-trailers and we also service semi-trailers. So we had uh, two different departments there. But the main focus was in accounts payable. And then after I learned the skill of reconciling, my job was also to enter all of the supply invoices when they came in and writing a lot of checks. So I finished um, a Cert 4 in office administration during that 12 month period. And after I finished my traineeship, I was offered a full-time job in that company and I stayed there for about four or five months. And then I left because I got a job in an accounting firm, which I really couldn't believe. I'd, I'd applied for the job because I wanted to move into the city. And I was very surprised that I got offered a job in an accounting firm, especially because I didn't have a degree yet. I was a little bit shocked. I went to the job interview thinking, I don't even know why I'm going for this job. And I got the job. And my job in that accounting firm was to prepare tax returns for sole traders, companies, trusts, and superannuation funds. Um, you know, obviously not all at the start, but eventually that's what I was doing. And so I worked in that accounting firm for on and off. If you add up all of the time that I worked there, like, I, it's like 10 or 12 years. Like I was there for, yeah, definitely at least a decade. So I worked in tax for about two years. I also did a bit of um, bookkeeping or what they, what they call bookkeeping in accounting firms, which is basically just tallying up, making a summary of the bank reconciliation and categorizing all of the expenses and then coding them into their system and making any adjustments. Uh, so there was no checking tax invoices or anything like that. And then after I'd been there for about two years, I said to my boss, I'd like to go to uni and get my accounting degree because I wanted to become a chartered accountant eventually. So the next step for me was to do my accounting degree. And my boss said to me, well, I've got an idea. While you're at uni, why don't you do some bookkeeping? So he said, if I did bookkeeping, I could actually be out and about on site with the clients. A lot of the clients were sort of in the area where I lived. So he said I could go out on site and then after I'd finished the job on site, I could go home and do my study or go to uni or I could do a bit of work from home if I wanted to. And I thought, well, that sounded great. Um, the hourly rate was a lot higher than my accounting work, which I thought was pretty cool. Obviously, I was a contractor at the time, so I didn't understand that probably if you subtract all the entitlements and that kind of thing, it might not have been a higher hourly rate, but um, yeah. So I started that out. I think my first bookkeeping job was like $16 an hour, um, but quickly moved to, you know, 20, 25 and eventually 30, 35 and $40 an hour. 
over, over time. And so I really loved that because I liked getting out of the office. It was really nice to go out and, you know, be in different places and then go off to uni, do my study, do a bit from home. And so during that initial season, I didn't really do too much tax work. Like I would just help out if there was a bit of an overflow and I was always the MYB expert in the firm. So whenever someone needed help with MYB, they always came to me. And so the bookkeeping practice was actually owned by the same owner and he'd also gone into business with a bookkeeper, uh, but it wasn't under the name of the accounting practice. They, they, they created a new name, but it was, it was you know, their, their office was in the same office and that kind of thing. And so often what would happen is my boss would, you know, he'd con subcontract me out to different businesses. And then at some point the businesses might say to him, we'd like to hire Amy directly. And so what he would do is he'd charge them a large fee to, you know, release me. And then I'd work for them directly as a contractor. Now, this was before the requirement to become a BAS agent had come in. So there wasn't any requirement. I could just go out there and work as a contractor for any company um, as uh, and it was, it was legal. And so then what would happen is at some point when they needed to hire an employee and I didn't want to work as an employee, I'll go back to the accounting firm and into their bookkeeping practice and, and do work through them again for new clients. And then the same thing would happen over again. So at some point I got offered a full-time job with a company um, that was listing on the stock exchange and they offered me a, um, a full-time job there because they're, um, so I was assisting their accountant there and their accountant decided that when they listed on the stock exchange that he wasn't at the level they needed to, to be there um, CFO. So they knew they had to hire a CFO and then he decided to move into state anyway and he wasn't going to take the job. So I took his job as the accountant who was supporting the CFO. Um, but still in a senior bookkeeper role. So I still did all of the bookkeeping as well as um, the assistant accounting work, you know, assisting with audits and preparing the annual reports and things like that. So this was a great job. I worked there for a year and a half um, and then I got hit by a car and I broke my neck. And um, at some point after that injury, I really struggled at work and I decided to um, go back because I hadn't finished my degree. I decided to go back to uni and finish my degree. So that was 2000 and 2009. So originally when I'd gone to uni, I did my first year, but I actually stopped because I thought, oh, I'm a bookkeeper. I love bookkeeping. I don't really need a degree. And I decided to stop. But at this point I thought, well, I'm unable to work. I'm interested in accounting again. So I'd like to, to finish my degree. And so I went back and I, I, I actually really struggled through uni. It was really a really hard season because of the injury that I had. Um, I had to have disability support from the university so that I would have um, extended time for exams or I'd be able to use a computer or I'd have to have a special chair and things like that. So it was a really hard season and it was a hard season financially as well. And, you know, so I was on, I, I was on Oz study uh, at the time, or I think it was Oz study or might've been on a, a disability, not a disability pension, but like a, like a sickness allowance for if you get, some kind of an injury or something like that. So I was studying, I had a fairly low income and I was looking for a way to supplement my income. And there was a coffee shop right near my uni and I used to go there every day. And the guy that worked there was really friendly and he, he used to chat to me all the time. He'd say, hey, what are you studying? And I said, accounting. And he said, oh yeah, I need some help with my bookkeeping and, and our tax returns. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, I can do it. Now, by the time this happened, it was 2010. So March 2010 was when the requirement to become a, uh, to be a registered BAS agent came in. I graduated at the end of 2010. So it was during that year. I had heard something about it. So back maybe, it must have been a couple of years before or no, I apologise. Actually, at that time, I was also doing a couple of clients for that accounting firm. And it was during that sort of 2009 season that I'd heard something about bookkeepers having to be registered. But I didn't really take it seriously or I didn't know if it was serious. Um, and I figured that if it did come in, somebody would tell me. And so I sort of knew about it, but I sort of didn't know about it. And so when this coffee shop asked me to work for them, 
I said, well, yeah, I, I sort of thought, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. So I said to them, well, can you work with me through the accounting firm that I work at? And so I sent them what my rates were and they didn't want to pay those rates. And so I was, they, I think they were going to have to pay like 40 bucks an hour, which was way cheaper. Like I gave them a big discount, but I was going to be getting 25 out of that. So I thought that was the cheapest I could go and they didn't want that. So I thought, all right, well, I'll work for them directly for 25 bucks an hour as a contractor and I'll just do it for them. I figured technically it was my client. It was nothing to do with the accounting firm. So I knew that I could take that client directly, but then I was providing services to them that require me to be registered but because I hadn't really taken it seriously I thought I just kind of thought oh it doesn't apply to me I don't know why I thought that it was just kind of where I was at at the time and so I provided them with um you know all kinds of tasks that are actually restricted by non-BAS agents so including BAS preparation so when I did their BAS preparation what I would do is I would give them the numbers for the bass. I'd say, oh, I don't think I'm allowed to lodge your bass, so you have to lodge your own bass. So what I'd do is I'd do all the bookkeeping and then I'd provide them with the figures. But I didn't lodge it, just gave them the numbers and then they filled it out. Well, so I didn't actually know, or you know, the way that I explained it or thought that I could get around this was to provide the um, to provide them with the numbers and then they fill out the form and then technically I'm not preparing or lodging their bass. I didn't actually realise, it was only um, a couple of weeks ago actually where I really sat down and dug into, okay, like I sort of vaguely knew what a bookkeeper and bass agent can and can't do, but I'd never really looked that deeply into it and I wanted to put something together because I needed to inform some of my potential clients about this. And so it wasn't until I did this a couple of weeks ago that I realised that providing the numbers for a client to fill out their own BAS is considered to be providing a BAS-related service, which is not allowed to be performed by a non-BAS agent. Um, there's also an understanding or a misunderstanding from bookkeepers who think that they're allowed, to, they're just not allowed to charge for the BAS service. Okay, but I'm going to tell you what it says on the Tax Practitioners Board website and this might be paraphrased because I've, I've put together a little article for my clients that explains it in a bit more everyday language. So here it's legally any bookkeeper providing a BAS related service or any service related to a BAS provision must be either registered with the tax practitioners board, supervised by a registered BAS agent or tax agent or a PAYG employee of your company and when i say your i'm speaking to the business owner actually that's that first line is from the tax practitioners board um, about providing a bass related service or any service related to a bass provision okay so i thought well what is a bass provision i need to be really clear with the client what is a bass provision so a bass provision includes gst law wine equalization tax law luxury car tax law, fuel tax law, fringe benefits tax law, uh, related to collection and recovery only, pay as you go, PAYG withholding and PAYG instalments. So any services related to a BAS provision, aka anything on, those, um, on that list, is restricted to the person needing to be a registered BAS agent or if they're not a registered BAS agent, to be supervised by a registered BAS agent or a tax agent, or to be a PAYG employee of the business. And so when I read that and I was putting that information together, I realised just how many tasks that I was doing as an unregistered bookkeeper were actually outside the scope of what I was allowed to do. So during the time of working with this um, business owner as well, so I also process paying their employees. Now, when I say employees, they were not legal employees, they were cash on hand employees. And so I said to the business owner, you cannot be paying them cash in hand. If you do, this is not deductible. And also you're putting your business at risk because they're not protected. You need to be paying PAYG and putting them through the books correctly. 
Now, by doing that, I was actually breaching what I'm allowed to do. I was providing a, that was a BAS provision, what I was doing there. I was advising the client about needing to calculate PAYG. I, I did a summary so because when I told the client, they wanted to know, well, how much are we going to have to pay? So I put together a summary and it included the amounts of PAYG and superannuation. And so they looked at that and they said they didn't want to do that. The other thing I was doing was I was advising them about what was, was and was not deductible. And when I'm talking about deductible, I'm talking about GST, uh, claiming the GST, and I'm also talking about whether it's a tax deduction or not. So in that scenario, I was providing a BAS provision to the client by providing advice to them about GST coding which a non-BAS agent is not allowed to do. So if a bookkeeper is processing some bookkeeping and they're not sure whether something should have GST on it or whether the client can even claim it, they need to be supervised by a BAS agent or have a BAS agent or tax agent make that decision. And so I thought it might be helpful at this point to actually go through the detailed list of what is considered to be a BAS-related service, not just from my example, um, but also from what the Tax Practitioners Board says. And again, this is a paraphrase. So what I've done is I've taken, there's a checklist. I'll include the link in the podcast. And the link is all about information on what is and what is not a BAS-related service according to the Tax Practitioners Board. And here I've put it together in a more simplified summary. I've just basically, I've kept all of the items, I've just worded them in a bit more of a simple way, just sort of everyday language, because it's for providing to business owners who don't necessarily uh, need all the jargon. So here's the list of things that a BAS agent can do. I, I apologize, it's not just what a BAS agent can do, this is what a, an unregistered bookkeeper, who's not a BAS agent or not supervised or not a PAYG employee cannot do. Okay, so if you're not registered, you, can, you cannot apply for ABNs and you cannot update GST or PAYG withholding registration statuses. So if someone's registered, you can't register them. And if they're, not regist if they're registered and want to deregister, you cannot deregister them. And if they decide to take on a PAYG employee, you cannot add the PAYG withholding to their registration. You also can't advise them about whether they should. So that includes um, an example would be looking to see, oh, you guys are over the threshold, you really need to get registered for GST, or now that you're taking on employees, you need to register for PAYG. You cannot give that advice if you're not registered. So the next thing that you cannot do um, if you're not registered, and you can do if you are, is coding transactions, tax invoices, and transferring data into a computer program for clients requiring the interpretation or application of a BAS provision. So again, remember what's on that list of BAS provision. So if the client is not registered for GST, you may code transactions and tax invoices. If the client is registered for GST, you cannot interpret or apply a BAS provision. So you cannot apply anything that comes under GST law or PAYG law or any of those other items that I mentioned. And so if you are doing these things, you need to be supervised by a BAS agent. The other thing that you can't do is adding figures to completing or lodging the BAS. So um, the way that I got around that when I was working was to not complete and lodge the BAS. I'd just give them the numbers. So rather, I would not fill out the form and say, here's the numbers, fill out the form. But here's the next item. Providing figures to a business owner so they can complete their own BAS. That is not allowed. That is considered to be that is con considered to be providing a BAS service. Providing advice regarding GST coding, again, um, similar to what I mentioned before. Determining and reporting superannuation guarantee. So that's basically superannuation. So the superannuation guarantee is the amount of super that's put aside for employees when they work their hours, which is currently 9.5%. So you cannot determine or report superannuation guarantee, which basically rules out uh, processing payroll. Um, processing, setting up super through a clearinghouse or accounting software. So that includes going into zero and grabbing the um, payable amounts and clicking them and lodging them through the zero um, 
superannuation portal through the clearinghouse or any other clearinghouses. Um, completing and lodging a taxable payments annual report. So that's your T part. So that's where you're reporting all of the ABNs and the amounts and the names of the contractors. This is related to those in the trade and construction, um, related to all of their contractors. It also now applies to um, anyone who's providing a cleaning service. The other thing you can't do is send employee tax file declaration um, tax file number declarations, TFN declarations to the tax office. Um, you can't uh, provide any payroll service which apply, involves applying PAYG withholding or fringe benefit tax. So that basically again rules out any processing of um, payroll and also you can't provide payroll services involving interpreting and applying a BAS provision, including reporting of employee payroll information through the use of STP-enabled software. And finally, payroll compliance reviews. So providing an assessment or an opinion as to whether the client is compliant with one or more BAS provisions. So that an example that I would give is before how I looked at that client's payroll and said, hey, you can't pay cash wages. And I gave them a summary saying, this is the PAYG you'd have to pay and the superannuation. Or going through and reviewing someone's um, file and saying, hey, you're over the threshold. You need to actually pay register for GST and this is how much you would owe if you registered. So at this point, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, what actually can a, un an unregistered bookkeeper legally do for a business? It's sort of seeming like that rules out pretty much everything. And so it, it really does come down to the fact that non-registered bookkeepers are very limited in what they can do unless they're supervised by a BAS agent or a tax agent or they're a PAYG employee of the company. So if you're in this position now, you probably be interested in looking at getting supervised because here's what you can do. You can install a computer accounting software without determining de de default GST codes. So you could set up a client's zero file, but you can't touch the GST codes. You can code transactions, tax invoices, and transfer data onto a computer program for clients through a process that does not require the interpretation or application of a BAS provision. Or more simply said, um, pro, uh, processes that do not require the interpretation or the application of GST, PAYG, and all of those other tax laws. So basically that comes down to businesses that are not registered for GST, um, you'd, be able to, you'd be able to do those things. I would say you could probably get around it by, let's say you're using a software from Receipt Bank and you go in there and you don't look at the GST codes. You just publish everything and then you leave it for the client to check the GST codes or the BAS, um, a BAS agent to check them, which I think is not really gonna work. And probably, yeah. So um, the other thing you can do is general training in relation to the use of computerized accounting software that's not related to a client's particular circumstances. So you can do general training. So um, as opposed to showing a client how to enter a tax invoice and to select the correct GST code, which you would not be allowed to do, you would be able to do general training. For example, this is how in general you reconcile a bank or this is how you set up a sale or um, this is how you complete a bank reconciliation. So you could do some generic training on this is how to use zero but you can't design that training to, okay, this is how your business is set up and this is how you need to do it. Therefore, th this is the process that you should follow. The other thing you can do is to prepare bank reconciliations. So that means once the data entry is done, either under the supervision of a BAS agent or as a PAYG employee, or if you're registered yourself, um, well, obviously we're talking about if you're not, so you're allowed to prepare the bank reconciliations after somebody else has processed the data if you're not supervised. So whether it's the client, maybe the client's entering their own supply invoices and coding everything up, um, but you're allowed to go through and check off the bank reconciliation. The other thing you're allowed to do is enter data that doesn't have any involvement or calculation of figures that need to be included on a BAS. So to me, that sounds like you might be able to enter in transfers in between bank accounts. You'll be able to enter personal transactions that go through the business account and code them to drawings. 
Um, I guess anything that goes in the BAS excluded or non-taxable code, depending which software that you're using, but I'm not really sure. So don't hold me to that one. I don't know if that's correct. The other thing that you're allowed to do is transmit data to the ATO through single touch payroll enabled software where the data transmission doesn't require the interpretation or application of a BAS provision. So I have no idea how that works, I'll confess, um, because if you're entering a pay, if you're entering wages, then you're applying PAYG. So I'm assuming this means that if the staff are not paying PUIG, then you're allowed to put it through STP. So maybe very small businesses that have a staff member working a couple of hours. I'm really not 100% sure on how that actually works. I don't know how you can get around processing a pay without a VAS provision. So it's pretty full on. Like going through this list, I was a bit surprised because I knew, I'd heard people saying, oh, as a non-VAS agent, you're not allowed to really do that much. You're very limited in what you can do. But because I'm a BAS agent, I never bothered to look into it because I'm like, oh, well, it doesn't apply to me. So I hadn't really paid attention. But I started to realize that I needed to pay attention because I needed to educate my clients. And also I would like to be able to help other bookkeepers to understand what is and what isn't. Now, I want you to keep in mind that all of this, this is my, this is my interpretation. So I've gone through and read the items of what it actually says on the tax practitioners board, which you can check out for yourself. But obviously the commentary that I've given on each item, it is my view and it is my interpretation of it. So, um, you know, I'm happy if you think that I've got something wrong out of this um, or you have questions about it, I'm more than happy for you to let me know. Um, because as I said, you know, I started looking into this a couple of weeks ago and as I'm reading through those items, I'm just going off of my experience of, of what I think that this means. And so the way that I've taken it is that a BAS provision includes anything to do with on that list. And that includes coding something and applying GST or PAYG. So that's the way I've interpreted it. Um, I don't know if it applies. So if you're just entering something and it's got... You know, for example, if let's say something comes through Receipt Bank and it picks up that the item's got GST on it straight from the tax invoice, I am not 100% sure if that is allowed or not allowed. So, for example, if the invoice comes through and it's just picking it up off what's on the invoice, then I'm not sure that that counts as... Um, it definitely doesn't include um, count as interpretation. So, interpretation would be, let's say... Um, the let's say the invoice didn't have GST on it or let's say the tax invoice was missing um, and you wanted to, I don't know, let's say it was under the threshold of 75 plus GST. Um, so let's say a $50 invoice came through, um, an expense came through on the bank statement, but there was no tax invoice, but you asked the client what it was and they said, oh, I bought some stationery. And then you go, okay, well, stationery has GST on it. So unless they bought a drink, at the shop, which is not deductible, you would just you would be able to claim a tenth, or you would be able to um, look up the shop and actually look up their ABN and see if they're registered for GST, and then you would determine, okay, this should have GST on it. So I know from what I'm reading, you are you would not be allowed to do that. Whereas if the tax invoice comes through and it clearly states that this is a tax invoice and here is the tax amount, I don't know that that falls under this part that says requiring interpretation of, so we know it's not interpretation, but is it an application of a VAS provision? You're applying GST. That's the, that's the shady area for me. So I will admit that that is the shady area. So I'd love to do a little bit more homework on this. Um, and it's quite funny because that gray area, like whichever way that it goes could make a big impact on a VAS agent. So I think that this is something that we really, need to know about. I know that the ICB have put together a resource where they say what you can and can't do. It's a bit more simplified than my list and it's not listing everything word by word from the tax practitioners board. And so um, the way that they've listed it there is that they said that a non-VAS agent can process and ask questions about something, but they can't, um, they can't determine or make decisions about something. So, yeah, the way that I read it, I don't see that there's any way around it, but I, the way that I read application of a BAS provision means 
coding, putting the GST code on anything. So it is quite limiting there. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, pretty much everything that I do means I should be registered, then there are options and you need to, you need to find somebody to supervise you in the work that you're doing for a period of time. And then the great thing about getting supervised is that, you know, you'll be able to have your points supervised over your hours, um, supervised over a period of time, and then you'll be able to get registered once you've got a thousand hours. If you're a member of an association like ICB or Australian Bookkeepers Association, um, not Australian Bookkeepers Network, I think that they're not considered an association. Um, however, there's a benefit of going through ABN. They do have a supervision service. So I recommend that you check that out and see if you, that you can get supervised by them. Otherwise, you can, can approach a BAS agent, ask them to supervise you. And normally there would be a fee involved in that per client. Pretty full on, huh? It's, it's pretty full on. So anyway, you know, back to my story. I was working in that cafe, clearly providing um, BAS, uh, BAS related um, services and BAS provisions. So I was clearly doing the wrong thing. And so at the time, oh, I don't know, I remember when it was, I think it was when, um, I don't know, I, c I actually can't remember. It was sometime in that year. I mentioned this to a colleague that I was working for this client directly. And so she was shocked when I told her, like she was like, oh, um, now she wasn't rude to me, but she said to me, oh, um, she's like, okay, how are you doing that? If you're not, she's like, oh, are you a bass agent? I'm like, no. And she said, well, how, how are you doing this work? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm just doing it. And she said, well, you need to be registered. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. And so I remember her telling me that and it was someone that I respected and I believed her and the way that she said it, you know, she said it she said it firmly, like she didn't make it sound like it wasn't a serious thing. She told me that it was serious. And I, you know, because she told me that I respected her, she said it to me without judging me, but she made it clear how serious it was and what the consequences were. And, you know, like she made it clear to me that, you know, not only was I putting the business at risk, but I was also putting the future of my own career at risk in, in, in terms of getting um, penalized by the tax practitioners board or I guess even potentially not being allowed to become a registered bus agent in the future. And I thought, oh my gosh, I would die if I couldn't do bookkeeping. Like bookkeeping would, had been my, my, you know, my livelihood for such a long time. And I thought, oh wow, like, um, you know, I have been putting my career at risk and I definitely didn't want to do that over something so small, you know? And the funny thing about all of this is that I've been working in an accounting firm with a bookkeeping practice for 10 years, you know, and at the end of those 10 years, I was the manager of the bookkeeping practice. And I just, you know, I wasn't connected in with any communities. I didn't know that there were a whole community of other bookkeepers out there. I wasn't a member of any associations. And because there was no one in the firm, you know, once I was at the point of being a manager um, in that practice, so the business partner had left, um, long before that and it was kind of being very poorly managed by a new manager that they brought in and I came in and cleaned up the mess from that person and took over and because I wasn't linked into any associations I didn't have any professional memberships um, I really didn't have that connection with the community I had no connection with the community at all and so I had no way except for this one bookkeeper that I knew who was able to tell me. So I went along, um, you know, doing this work, um, working illegally and um, breaking the law, but not knowing what I was doing. But I found it in so funny that like kind of ironic that I had so much, you know, I'd been in this firm for such a long time, but I just wasn't exposed to the true information about what the rules were. And I, and I missed the fact that something so serious had come into force. I thought, oh, okay, um, I didn't get that memo. Like, when did this happen? So 
once I found out, once my friend told me, you know, I did try and justify a little bit and I tried to, you know, pretend that she hadn't said it, but very quickly I had in the back of my mind that I knew that this was wrong. And, you know, I was now becoming anxious about getting caught, getting penalized or being unable to practice my profession in the future. And so I thought, okay, I've got to just do this. Like, I don't know what's involved. I, you know, The whole thing was a bit overwhelming, but I went on the tax practitioners board website and I well and truly had my hours up. So when I read what the requirement was, I had my hours up. I know not all bookkeepers are in this position and I know it's very hard. So I apologize that I, like, I can't relate to being in a situation where I desperately want to get registered, but I've got four years ahead of me of getting registered. So because I'd worked in the accounting firm doing so many BASs, I already had my hours up. So I approached my boss and I said, I'd like to become a BAS agent. And so he signed off. Um, and within about, it took about three months to get my registration because I had to go do a couple of subjects. I had to study a GST subject and a payroll subject because although I had an accounting degree, Um, a fairly recent one Um, it hadn't covered those two specific topics and so a lot of TAFEs have what they call a BAS agent skill set so it's the additional couple of skills that you need on top of an accounting degree um, that are not included whereas I think if you go through the CERT 4 route those topics are included in the CERT 4. And when I reflect back on this situation, especially when I see posts in Facebook groups about dobbing in bookkeepers who are not registered, I was so glad that a fellow bookkeeper was willing to tell me the law and help me out. And if she just reported me to the TPB without speaking to me, I would have been devastated. Like if I'd got a call from the tax practitioners board because someone had dobbed me in, I would have been shocked. You know, and what I wanted to emphasize here is that you can't judge when someone is working unregistered. When you discover that someone's not registered, you have to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that by you hearing my story, and I'm assuming the fact that you're listening to my podcast regularly, that you do respect my opinion. um, And you also, you know, respect me as a colleague and you're, you know, potentially somebody that, you know, I'm somebody who you look up to. I'm hoping that you can say, oh, wow, like someone who I really respect actually had done the wrong thing and went through this process themselves. And so I hope that that will give you peace of mind that, you know, to know like, yes, you are doing the wrong thing if you're working unregistered. Um, It is illegal what you're doing. Like it's not just wrong or not the right thing to do, but it's, it's actually illegal. You're actually breaking the law and you're putting business owners at risk and you're putting your own career at risk. And, you know, but if I can tell you that in a kind and humble way that says, hey, I made this mistake too, then I'm hoping that you will take this seriously because it really is serious. In fact, I'd love for you to have a listen to an episode that I did about the impact or the cost of rescue jobs on Australian small businesses because this is a serious thing. People think bookkeeping is just data entry. They think it's just an entry-level skill that anybody can do. Um, The other thing I really want to emphasise here is that, you know, if we give people the benefit of the doubt and we give them a chance to do the right thing by telling them not just the rules but also the consequences of breaking the rules, then, you know, you're giving that person a chance to make the right decision. And I believe that when someone hears this from you, they might not take it seriously the first time. And that doesn't mean that they're a bad person who wants to do something illegal. Every human being, when they hear the truth about something, it's probably going to take them time between hearing the news and then making the choice to make the right decision or to start the steps that they need to take towards making the right decision. And so that's why I've decided to put together this little um, checklist or process of how we can actually approach somebody. Because I do think that there is a place for reporting someone to the tax practitioner's board, but I think that there's a certain number of steps that need to happen before that. And so what we need to do is we need to take the approach of educating our fellow bookkeepers and not making assumptions about their motives because to say, oh, this bookkeeper is working unregistered and, you know, assuming that they know the rules is is not a good idea. And to approach a bookkeeper and to, you know, have a go at them or just to simply report them to the tax practitioners board, I think that that, I don't see that, I see that as equally wrong. 
as working unregistered. That's my opinion, my strong opinion, <laughs> if you want it. But I think I, I would count you as like in the same basket as someone, if, if you're someone who's willing to just dob someone in without taking the time to educate them or find out their circumstances, like I just think, yeah, I, that really upsets me. I just think, don't do that, please. <laughs> so, you know, let's take an approach of educating each other. We don't need to dob each other in and report each other, but of course there is a point where you would report somebody. So I'm not saying we don't do that. I'm just saying, let's do it in, a, in the right order. So here are the steps that I've come up with. And again, this is just me brainstorming. I haven't fully formulated all of this. I haven't, um, I haven't bounced the idea off somebody yet. I haven't had it checked by any of the authorities or anything like that. But this is my thought. This is how I, this is how I would personally do it. All right, so I've put together, there's seven steps here. So step one, speak to the bookkeeper directly, if possible, in person or on the phone. I recommend this above putting it in writing due to possible defensiveness and misunderstanding. However, if the only option is to do it in writing, I would say do that. Just make that your second preference. If, if that person can hear your voice and they can hear that you're not angry with them or judging them and that you're truly coming from a place of helpfulness, if you're not really good at um, written communication and expressing um you know, expressing your tone through written communication, which is something that's difficult to do. If you're not really good at that, if you've never written an email where someone's misunderstood you, then by all means, send it by email. But if you think that sometimes people misunderstand you on email, practice your nice voice and give them a call um, and just have a chat to them first. So that's step one. This and during that step, what I would suggest that you speak to them about, it, it would be something like this. Um, hi there, Sally. My name's Amy. I am a fellow bookkeeper and I just wanted to um, see if you had a couple of minutes. I wanted to chat to you about something. And so obviously um, they would say yes or no. And if they say no, make another time. But if they say yes, chat to them. Um, and then obviously they'll, they'll want to know what you want to talk about. And you say, oh, I'm just, um, just something's come to my attention and I'm, a, I'm just a little bit um, worried, but I wanted to chat to you because I'm not really sure, you know, I just want to find out a little bit more information, but I noticed that you're um, not a registered BAS agent and I'm not sure if you're aware of the requirements of being a BAS agent, but I thought if I gave you a call and had a chat to you, I might be able to provide you some information. But also, if, if I've missed something, may, may, maybe I'm incorrect. So, you know, give the person a chance. That, obviously, I don't know. You, you might not like the way that I've communicated that. But for me, I don't like to just hit people real, really directly because it comes across as harsh. So you can see the way that I've worded it is like, hey, like you're, I'm happy to be proven wrong here. I hope that I'm wrong, but I really want to be helpful here. And I want to be able to give you some information if you don't already have it. And the person might say to you, oh, yes, I am registered. I just haven't had time to update my website yet, for example. Or maybe you've checked them in the BAS agent. Um, you know, obviously, I recommend before you do this, look, look them up, look up their name and see if you can find them as registered because maybe they haven't updated their website. And then from there, you, should say, you could say to them, look, you know, probably a good idea to put that up because otherwise someone might take that the wrong way. Um, if they say, uh, yeah, I'm not registered, um, they might say something like, oh, I'm not aware of that. Um, oh, I didn't know. Um, you know, they might be telling the truth or they might not, but I would suggest that you believe them. So if someone says, oh, I didn't actually realise, what do I need to do? Then you say, look, I'll send you some information. And then, you know, try and have a little bit of a chat to them on that call and just say, look, you know, th this is what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. And these are the consequences for, you know, if you breach that. And here's the way around it. You can either get registered or you can find someone to supervise you or you could approach your clients and see if you can work as a PAYG employee. You can give them some options. And so they'll probably be very thankful and they'll say, great, can you send the information through? I'm really embarrassed about this. I didn't know. And they'll be very grateful for your help. Now, there's a third option there, and that's going to be the person who they already know, um, or maybe they don't already know, but they're going to be defensive. So they're going to go, 
like I don't know what they would say in that situation but they just they might hang up on you they might say oh that's none of your business or they might say well I don't want to do that or whatever so I would I can't imagine where that would happen like if someone called me and said that I can't imagine responding like that but you just never know so if that happens don't get upset you can just, if they say, look, I'm not interested in registering, you can say, well, look, this is, these are the consequences and I don't want that to happen to you. But look, I'll send you some information anyway. It's up to you if you want to read it. But, you know, and you can say to them, look, I feel that it's my responsibility under my VAS agent registration to make sure that people are adhering to this. So I'm sorry this upset you and I'm sorry that you don't like it or you don't agree with me, um, but I will send you the information. You need to do some homework. Um, and you can start the steps towards this. You know, I'm not asking you to get registered this second. You know, they might say something defensive like, oh, yeah, but it's going to take me four years to get that qualification. You can say, well, look, there's other, way, other ways around it. You can get supervised. You can just start the steps towards it. You know, get yourself supervised and then you're on that track or enroll yourself in a course and get on that track. And so you can get off the phone with them. And after you get off the phone, that takes me to step two. So step two is after you speak to them, write to them and confirm in writing what you've said, including any relevant links that you wanted to share with them about information. Then what I would do is I would give them some time. So I, what I've put down for myself is that I would give them three months. And you might be thinking, well, we need to dob them in straight away if they're not willing to change or they, you know, we need to, to, to let them, you know, we need to follow up more quickly than that. I think three months is a good amount of time because it gives the person a fair bit of time to think about it. You could just do a month, but if you give someone, you know, a month, two months, three months, I think that's a good amount of time. And then after that time, I'm going to suggest follow up with a phone call. So give them another phone call and say, hey, it's me again. I hope you don't mind me calling you back, but I just wanted to see how you're going and just see if they've taken any steps. And they might say, oh, I have been, I've been too busy. Or they might say, yeah, I've enrolled in my Cert 4. Or they might say, I've found myself someone to sponsor me or I'm under the ABN, um, Australian Bookkeepers Network, um, mentorship um, supervision program. So they might have some positive news like that. Or they might say they've been too busy. And so if they say to, they're too busy or if they say I'm not going to do it or if they make some kind of excuse for taking no action, it would be at that point that I would mention reporting them to the tax practitioner's board. So I, so I wouldn't mention it in the first phone call. So you let them know there's consequences and that they could get reported, but you don't have to say I will report you. But at this point, if the person has taken no action and they've had one or two or three months to take some action, I would then say... Look, I feel responsible as a BAS agent, um, you know, to give you this information. I've sent you all of the information. I've let you know what's required. And I feel like you're completely unwilling to take steps towards that. So I'm not going to report you straight away, but I want to let you know that um, if you haven't taken some action towards um, getting registered or getting some supervision or, you know, um, something to taking steps towards meeting the criteria. If you haven't done that within the next 30 days, I'm going to have to report you to the tax practitioner's board. And I would get off the phone. So obviously that's, um, that's step three. <laughs> so give them three months time and then follow up with a phone call. And then step four. And so in step three, you're giving them three months time following up with a phone call and you're warning them. Okay. So you're giving them a warning. Step four, after you get off the phone, write to them, confirm in writing what you've spoken about, including any suggested action steps for them. Um, and for example, find a BAS agent to supervise you, complete an application, join the ABN BAS sponsorship program or enroll in the required studies, etc. Include in that email that you're giving them 30 days to take action and let them know that you will follow up with another final phone call um, in 30 days time. And that at the point, if you find that they haven't taken any action within the 30 days time that you will be contacting the tax practitioners board to report their activities. So step five is to give them 30 days and then do a final follow-up call. So if at this stage the person's still taking no action, then let them know um, that you will be reporting them to the tax practitioner's board 
and then see what they say. Because at that point, once they realize that you're serious, there's, there's still a chance that they're going to change. So they'll say, okay, okay, like I will do something about it. If they say they'll do something about it and say, well, look, this time I'm going to, I'm going to give you a final 14 days because I do believe that you're going to take some action. Um, and, but if they're adamant and they say, I'm not doing it, you can go get stuffed. You can say, well, unfortunately I will be reporting you. If step six is confirm in writing after the call, based on whatever conversation that you've had. So if they've refused to take action, you can let them know in their email that you will be reporting them um, today. So you say, I will, I will let, I'll be reporting you today, or you can say tomorrow if you want to give them an extra day. Um, you know, you can say, look, if you change your mind, just reply to this email within 24 hours and I won't do it. Um, and if they say, look, look, I, you know, I will do it. I'm sorry. I didn't realize how serious this was. Then confirm that in writing as well. Just let them know, okay, look, I'm going to give you another 14 days or another seven days to do this. I want you to email me back and let me know what you have done. Otherwise I will report you um, on day 14 or whatever. But let them know in this email that you're still willing to help them to get on the right track. So you're not, you're still, even though you're becoming more firm and you're really letting them know you're serious, still keep a tone of kindness and willingness to help them. And then step seven is if they don't take action after the 14 days or that 24 hour period that you've given them, then contact the tax practitioners board and report report them to um, through whatever process you need to follow there and I'll put it into the hands of the tax practitioners board who at that point will be able to um, put harsher discipline on them, warn them uh, more harshly, fine them if needed and educate them in a much stronger way, which is not your responsibility. So, you know, your responsibility as a BAS agent is to inform and educate and help fellow bookkeepers, but it's not your responsibility to punish them. And I think that includes posting about them in Facebook groups, um, you know, judging them, being nasty, spreading rumours about them, maybe telling other people about them, anything like that. There's no need to do any of that. I think that if we've got these steps at hand, you can come up with your own. You know, if you want your own version, you don't have to follow mine. I guess I've loosely followed a process that you might use in, a, in debt collection. You know, when you're collecting debts, you want to, you don't call the person on the first thing and tell them that you got, they're going to jail. <laughs> you contact them, you don't call them up and say, you're getting, legal you're, you're getting legal action. You don't just take them to court. You give them a chance. You assume that maybe they've missed it or maybe it's been an oversight that maybe they didn't have the tax invoice. So if you take that same approach, then you will find probably you'll get people a lot more open to receive the information that you've got and to, um, to be able to take action. So that's it. That is my secret about BAS agent registration. That is a whole heap of information about what a bookkeeper versus a BAS agent can and can't do. And here's my checklist on how to educate and approach a fellow bookkeeper who is working unregistered and to help them to get on the right path. So I really hope this has been super helpful. I'd love your uh, feedback. I'd love your response to this. If you have any um, corrections to anything that I've said that you don't believe is correct, um, then you can email me. My email address is savvy at the savvybookkeeper.com.au. And if you email me, I will reply to you. And, um, you know, I welcome any input into this. I'm going to pop a couple of um, notes uh, and a couple of helpful links for you. So I'm going to give you a direct link to the Tax Practitioners Board page, which shows what you can and can't, what a BAS agent and bookkeeper can and can't do. I'm going to share with you an episode of the cost of rescue jobs on Australian businesses. And I'll give you also my checklist for how to approach a bookkeeper who is working unregistered. So I'll provide you a link for that as well. Have a great day. I hope you enjoy these resources. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you've learned a lot about it. If you're in a position now where you've realized that you are doing the wrong thing, then I would um, urge you to take some of the steps that I've suggested, which would be to contact the Australian Bookkeepers Network. I'll put a link to that as well. Um, and then also, um, yeah, get yourself in the sponsorship program or contact a BAS agent who you really like, who you think would be able to um, mentor you and get that arrangement in place. Because once it's in place, you're perfectly allowed to do any of those things. 
So, um, you know, start the process, get on track, get the education that you need and the skills that you need and get on track. And if you're a BAS agent and you've been looking down on bookkeepers who are working unregistered or becoming offended, like really take this on board and have a think about how you can be helpful instead of judgmental. And, you know, perhaps you've got a, a bookkeeper in your life who you'd like to have a conversation with. So if you follow this process and it helps you, um, then please also let me know because I'd love to know that my resources are helping other people. Hopefully you don't ever have to use it, but if you do, I hope it's a very big help for you. All right, well, have a great weekend. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Bookkeeper's Voice. We'll be back next week, so subscribe to future episode notifications. Do you want to be more efficient? Get instant access to our free template of the month. Visit thesavvybookkeeper.com.au slash freebie. Would you love to connect with other Savvy Bookkeepers to get support and ideas? Join the Savvy Bookkeeper Facebook group. Do you need help with pricing, marketing, web design or business planning? Visit thesavvybookkeeper.com.au to see our services. Until next time, stay savvy.